Welcome back to the Coffee and Heroes podcast once again. Welcome back to our review show and welcome back to our catching up on previous titles. We're going to be looking at titles that hit on the 2nd of February 2022. It feels like we are catching up more and more day by day. So it's nice to be into the, the month of February. Be caught up in no time. So your host as always, Alan, owner from uh, Coffee and Heroes in Belfast. And joined, of course, by Keith this evening. Good evening. And I haven't seen you for about 20 minutes. So, yeah, but it was a, it was a heady twenty minutes. I have to say, I missed you. It was well. It was a nice Chinese dinner and ice cream for me. So, you know, that's all good. Lovely. But Lovely. I'm I'm back refreshed, ready to go. And uh, as I say, talk titles from the second of February, and we're actually neck and neck. You've been uh, beating me for a few weeks consistently. Actually, you you seem to have the the jump on me. But this week we're actually neck and neck. So uh, twenty six total titles for me. Five uh, DC. Uh, six Marvel, so pretty even split there. And then, as usual, massively out on front for me anyway. <laughs> 15 indie books, that is a lot. And I also had a Mighty Marvel Masterworks this week as well. So for anybody who doesn't know, the Mighty Marvel Masterworks are essentially collections of uh, original issues. Uh, they're put into this uh, sort of smaller book format. Really good entry price for them. They come in around £14.50 and contain anywhere from 10 to 15 issues. So this one for me this week was Daredevil Volume 1, which contains the first 11 issues of the original Here Comes Daredevil. So uh, I've already read through that and it's not always great, but it's always great to see where it all came from. So Yeah, uh, yeah you have to you know, you know have to look at these things in the, in the light of, of, of when they were written. You oh, know, and and, and, and uh, I suppose that it's about it's the history of the thing you know it's the history of our of our uh, of our hobby uh, and and of these characters you know and uh, i mean they were for their time they were absolutely astounding because if they weren't they wouldn't still be around oh absolutely uh, it's it's just interesting as well cuz so many people you know always think of daredevil they think of that red costume but you went right back to the start when he was in a yellow costume so yeah, it's uh, nice to see that evolution so yeah 26 for me and of course that means 26 for me neck, yeah, uh, neck. my breakdown is 3DC so 2 less than yourself 12 Marvel so twice as many as yourself <laughs> and 11 Indie uh, so I'm 4 behind you on the Indie uh, on the Indie stakes there I didn't have anything beyond my regular pool list this week I see and it's quite good with our, our honourable mentions anyway there is a good mix of DC, Marvel and Indie and then of course we'll get to our picks of the week after that. So honorable mentions, why don't you kick things off for us then? I think we're going to uh, image to start off with. Yes, that's right, with the Geiger eighty page giant. So I mean, as you know, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of anthologies. They're not my they're not my go to, but I have to say this Geiger Bumper edition was a total winner, even though the series that spawned it can be a little up and down. Um I mean, before last month, at least, the idea of a nuclear war uh, from which the protagonist, Tarek Geiger, gains his atomic powers would have been relegated to the Silver Age of comics. And the Silver Age is exactly where Jeff Jones and Gary Frank are leaning into for their new comic universe, of which Geiger was the first and Junkyard Joe, the uh, robot soldier, was the second. This 80-page giant introduces us to a few more of, uh, of the, the creations uh, the the heroes and characters that will populate uh, this this particular universe. Um, the story of the immortal Redcoat is very compelling and right up my street, of course, because he's an immortal. And I'm looking forward to learning more about both him and uh, the aforementioned Junkyard Joe. And for fans of things like Fallout, you know the, the the RPG, the computer game, you know that has that 
um, post-apocalyptic future as was envisioned from the 1950s sort of feel. The world of, of Geiger is very much of that tone. And, you know, while some of the stories might seem a little similar to one another because of it, it's there's some great world building contained within this and it's well worth a look. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they uh, what they come up with. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be something we're seeing more and more for these indie books is these sort of one-shot specials. You know, we obviously talked about Noctera a few weeks back. You have Gagger 80 Page Giant. On a future episode, I've no doubt we'll talk about the Stillwater one-shot, which I read recently, which I thought was pretty pretty fantastic. So it, it's nice that they're able to world-build here. It's I don't know if they necessarily function as one-shots in the way, certainly with DC and Marvel books do, where they're sort of one-shot tales almost and, and give you a taste of what that title's about. I think you do need to be reading the main titles to, you know, sort of get get the most out of these. Mm. But I really enjoyed this as well. It was nice to see different creative teams on it as well, different people, you know, putting their own stamp on this world as well. So, yeah, I thought it was really, really good value. You do worry as well when you see like a, a 7 or $8 price point, you're thinking, is this really going to be worth it? But, yeah, mm. I thought this I thought this hit home really, really well. So, yeah, definitely worth picking up the Gagger 80-page giant. And, of course, the the main series, which was six issues, is out in trade. So if you fancy catching up, that is easy to do. We stick with Image, though, and I just mentioned the series there as another series that dished out a one-shot. Well, it returned in earnest this week, uh, which was Noctera number 7. So Scott Snyder, Tony S. Daniels, uh, creator-owned title. And I know you weren't quite as taken with it, but I thought it was a really, really great diversion, the one-shot special on Blacktop Bill. You can certainly go back to a previous pod to listen to that. So this is the main series returning, and I thought it was returning with a bang. I mean, mm. Snyder and Daniel's world is fully formed and so interesting, and I like that we're just throwing smack bang back into the middle of it. So we pick up a, a few months after the events of Nocturne Number 6, and the, the convoy carrying our heroes is approaching a place called Outpost 31, which is a, a famed stronghold in this world for, for those on the side of the light. You know, this is a stunning looking issue, you know, with Daniel on top of his game here. That I think the background details are really fresh and vibrant and interesting methods such as walls of flat screen televisions and so forth being utilized to keep areas embedded in as much light as possible. I mean, dread to think what their electricity bills would be given the current uh, rising costs, <laughs> but that's another podcast. Uh, a small price to pay for a living, I suppose, but... Yeah, I mean, in a series where I think the coloring is undoubtedly so important, I feel that Marcelo Maialo deserves a, a special mention here. So with issue seven, I thought plenty of great action scenes, you know, some mythology building, some great character work. You know, Blacktop Bill remains a great villain. He's he's able to make his presence felt with relatively few scenes in the grand scheme of things. I'll always say it, but I think Snyder's always at his best when melding horror and action, and Noctera continues to be no exception. I may also have already read issue 8, and that is pick of the week territory. But we will get to that in the future pod as well. So yeah, great return for an already great series. And, and again, similar to Gagger, the first trade's available if you want to play catch-up. And you really should. I think this is the title going from uh, strength to strength. Mm, yeah, definitely enjoyed uh, enjoyed issue 7 and the, the comeback and the way things have changed up a wee bit uh, at the start of this new arc. So yeah, very enjoyable. And, and with the the first art behind us, there's a lot more to, it's a lot more bedded in, shall we say. So yeah, yeah really interested to see where this, where this goes now. Um, back into Marvel for me. And uh, so the, the way that X lives and X deaths of Wolverine have been working is, you know, the X lives started with week one, X deaths number one with week two, 
and then on to X Lives with week three. But I don't know if it was if it was because of shipping or whatever. But um, the second issue of X Lives and the first issue of X Deaths arrived in the same week. So what I'm actually talking about is X Lives of Wolverine number two, which is week three of uh, of that particular tale and. Issue two of X Lives is even better than the first, which uh, I'll not labour the point because I talked about the the series in the last episode as well. But this issue makes it clear that it's exactly what I expected regarding the the quantum leap, days of future past nature of Logan leaping about the time stream and the younger versions of his own body in order to protect uh, Xavier and his ancestors from a likewise time hop body hopping Omega Red. Um, Jean Grey acts as Logan's Al, if we're going to keep the Quantum Leap uh, metaphor going, uh, the voice in his ear and our, and our guide as well, keeping him in the straight and narrow and reminding him not to mess with history despite Logan's wish to improve his own destiny and lessen the pain of his own half-remembered history, whilst uh, Mikhail Rasputin, the brother of Colossus and uh, reality-warping uh, mutant um, who is in the the you know working within the within Russia on on, on their ends he is uh, in Omega Red's corner it's career best work from Joshua Kasara and no one better at the helm than Ben Percy to guide us through this issue that took us into 1900s Canada uh, you know so I guess from back in the Wolverine Origins series and also slightly later in uh, in Logan's career into um, Japan I think about the 1930s or 1940s so. Yeah, very cool, and there's some there's some Hickman-esque uh, data pages appearing. Uh, I love how they've adopted that in the in the main X titles. Um, you know that show us the Logan from that particular time and the characters that are connected to him. It's really it's really cool graphically. Well, I really hope that you've received a phone call at some point while you've been reading X Lives or X Deaths, just so that Quantum Leap theme can play. Just as you're reading through it, <laughs> yeah, my 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 phone theme, which uh, gladdens my heart every time someone rings me, regardless of who it is. <laughs> Anytime... No, I wasn't involved in an accident that wasn't my fault. <laughs> Anytime it's in the uh, store, it goes off. It's just interesting looking around at anybody else that's around because it's just instantly recognizable. And they uh, actually the, the... <laughs> recently, whenever Declan Shelby was in the store, he was the same. He was like. <gasps> <laughs> So uh, X-Lives of Wolverine number two there from Keith. The next honourable mention from myself, Shock Horror, is Batman. And we're up to issue 120 with Batman. So this, of course, is Joshua Williamson's run on the title. It's The art duties are shared between Mikhail Yannan and Jorge Molina in this one. Now, with all the hype surrounding the announcement of a, a certain Mr. Zdarsky taking over in Batman from 125, it can feel a little bit like the main title. Slightly treading water a little bit at the moment. You know, we... We know Williamson's not going to be giving us a massive, epic, long run, although his upcoming crossover event, Shadow War, looks great, though you will need issues of Deathstroke, Inc. and Robin to fully appreciate that. However, he's still been weaving an enjoyable tale. You know, there's plenty of nods to Batman's history, previous runs, and, and some great artwork by the team of Molina and Yannon. I do like that Williamson's able to strike a really good balance. You know, he's got he's introduced a villain who can certainly test Batman, you know, his limits and abilities and are not just bested in a aha moment where, you know, it's revealed Batman has been twelve steps ahead the whole time. You know, I I always think villains should be challenging, you know, the mantle of the bat should weigh heavy and Batman should be put through the ringer, but that doesn't mean he won't ultimately triumph. He just has to work for it. You know, there's some great work here as well with Lex Luthor, who has been dangling Batman Inc. over Bruce's head and, you know, rubbing his fortune in his face as he knows Bruce has fallen on leaner times. Lex is, 
he's a character that's always at his best when fully smug and thinking he is the one who's a step ahead of the heroes. And I think there's also a great sequence in this issue where there's a temporarily blinded Batman and he's having to use his wits and other senses in a bid to free members of Batman Inc. who can help him. You know, there's there's a freshness to it, you know, seeing Batman work through the problem rather than simply producing an antidote from his belt that he just so happened to have and then beating the villain to a pulp. Again, I, I do think, in a way, it's it's almost a shame that the specter of Zdarsky is hanging over the tile right now, in a way, because, you know, we, we have so many people in the store who have said, oh, I'll jump on this at 125, so they're not interested in picking this run up. Mm-hmm. They're just waiting for, for Chip to take over. But I do think the creative team is producing great work. It, you would almost look at it more as a mini-series than a, than a, a long, ongoing run. But, yeah, it can just be hard, I think, to get too invested when you know they won't be hanging around a bit. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's fair. So, but yeah, I still think there's some great stuff being done here, and I would imagine mm-hmm. this work will all be collected in one uh, one graphic novel. So, Batman one twenty. So we are going back to the well with the image. This is I have to pre warn you in advance, guys. This is an image heavy podcast. This one. Well, my my our last one for me was a Marvel heavy one. So uh, happy to happy to take a turn. But uh, yeah, as you say, back to the image well with crossover eleven. Um, Crossover is a series for me that, given the talent behind it and the central conceit of it, that you know the crossing over of a comic book worlds into the into the real world as such, uh, it should be a no brainer. But it hasn't actually managed to hit the mark with me on a lot of occasions. But these last few issues have really ramped things up to where I think they should have been from the start. The issue spins straight off the surprise ending of issue ten and starts brilliantly as the book's writer and now central character Donny Cates. Uh, draws an image of the shark jumping scene in Happy Days, perhaps suggesting that by including himself as central to the book, the series is doing just that. Uh, you know, it's quite a, quite an ironic meta sort of a, sort of a statement, layer upon layer of of uh, of, uh, of meta narrative. And you know, the idea that was posited at the very start, the very first issue, that the story is a virus and needs to be transmitted, uh, is 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 really uh, heavy here. This is sort of donny kate's origin story within this story and you know what he's doing there is core to this issue and that's part of that is explained through his interaction with ellie who is his creation and how this all affects her and the moment that's going to have everyone talking is at the end of this issue is another very famous image character shows up however this is most interesting because that this particular character isn't uh isn't isn't colorized like any of the other comic characters in the book they're there's a couple of explanations for this. Uh, one of them is, you know, that this character's doing what what Elle did and is wearing makeup. Or, well, we'll say no more. It's 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 definitely a, I think it's definitely a spoiler. I don't want to drop here, Alan. What do you say? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, once you get to issue twelve, it's it has a. Well, I suppose we're not spoiling it too much to say it has a guest writer, but we'll not say who that guest writer is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So let yeah say nothing and not ruin the surprise. Anyway. Regardless, it's it's a fantastic development and that Ryan's father is working with this person at all, especially because of his hatred of comic book characters is, is kind of interesting as well. So really enjoying this at the moment. There's there's definitely nothing else like it around. And I may go back and reread those as an initial issues and see if see if there's something I missed. And Jeff Shaw's art is, you know, brilliant, especially how he differentiates between real people and the comic characters though. The real people I'm talking about are characters in this comic, so that's a bit confusing. Anyway, 
Jeff Shaw's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Crossover's such a weird title for me. There, there's times I absolutely love it. There's times I'm not sure it seems a bit too meta or a bit... You know, I've said it before, when, when writers write themselves in the books, it just feels a little bit smug or self-satisfying well, or something. I don't you know. You see, that, that's why, that's why I, I enjoyed that the first thing we see Donny Cates doing in this is doodling, is doodling a, a, a cartoon of Fonzie jumping the shark, which is mm-hmm. where, of course, the, the term jumping the shark came from. Because yeah. that's about the time that that series, <laughs> you know, went in its ear. So, uh, I just, so I think that, that that's, that's a comment that he is aware of. <laughs> putting himself into the comic is a risky business yeah, you know what I mean so. that's, that's fair it's I mean I suppose one of the things is we've already of course we have the benefit of already having read issue 12 as well and it's just weird for me in a way because crossover is a series that I think the two best issues were either not written by Donny Cates or only co-written by Donny Cates you know what I mean the, the guys who he allows to play in this world I think do it in a really unique way but without that groundwork laid by Donny Kitts, they wouldn't be able to do that. So it's it's just it's a strange title for me sometimes. But yeah, I'll look forward to chatting yeah. about 12 because 12 is a lot of fun. A lot yeah, of fun. Yeah. So uh, yeah, crossover number 11 there. So moving away from image and back to the world of DC uh, before it gets very image heavy. And it's our, well, my monthly check-in normally with Dark Knights of Steel. And it's reached issue four this week, of course, written by Tom Taylor, art by Yasmin Putri. And this reminded me a little bit of, in the previous pod, we were chatting about Robin being a fast-paced series and then taking a bit of time to breathe. Well, that's what this issue is. You know, it's delivered on its promise of fast-paced action and adventure and shock twist. But with issue four, it did decide to slow down a bit and deliver in some uh, character development. And it's it's a welcome breather from all the bloodshed. So the, the situation in issue four, so war has escalated between the El Monarchy and the Kingdom of Storms and... The Amazonians are caught slam-bang in the middle. You've got Prince Kal-El and Bruce are preparing for war, while Princess Sala went rogue and brutally murdered two members of the storm, leaving Princess Diana on the, of the Amazons in a tight spot for personal reasons as well. You know, the crux of this issue, it still has Bruce still trying to come to terms with his secret heritage, while also dealing with how he feels towards his mother, keeping this secret and seemingly having an affair. Of course, Alfred is able to set him straight while also providing some sympathy towards Bruce's mum and reveal the entire truth behind his heritage. It's a great history lesson of an issue for this title. You know, we see more development of the relationship between Bruce and Alfred, which for me is always at the core of any great story feature in Batman. We learn the complex history of the Waynes and the Ls, how they came to be friends and trusted allies, despite there being the undercurrent of deception. You know, once again, I'm reminded of how much I miss Alfred from the current Batman ongoing as he is the backbone of this series. He's the voice of reason. He's a sympathetic ear. He's a trusted ally. He's a motivator. He's the most flexible of all the characters and that he can be important to anyone in different ways. And his message that just because someone has made mistakes or is imperfect doesn't mean they can't achieve greatness is a, is a powerful message for the series. So, yeah, just a thought it was another great issue in a, in a series I'm always happy to talk about. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's, it, it's. Yeah, it's sometimes a quick read actually. Uh, so it is. I'm. I'm certainly enjoying it more than much more than uh, DC versus Vampires. That is really starting to. That is really starting to grate for me a wee bit. Oh really? Oh, well, uh, yeah. Okay. Interesting talk in the future then. Um, it's. I think it's six issues in, and I'm going. Oh, there's a lot of issues where nothing really happened, you know. <laughs> but anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Dark Knights of Steel, and uh, and as I say, yeah, it's 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 a really fantastic, uh, really really cool concept. Um, 
whenever you talk about Alfred, I'd say it makes me think about Man at Arms and Hema. <laughs> fair comparison. Fair comparison. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's worth noting as well. It's, it's maybe a, it's not a potential spoiler, I suppose, but I got caught up on Dark Knights of Steel. I read issue five the other night. And obviously Tom Taylor's writing Dark Knights of Steel. He's writing Superman, Son of Kal-El. So, of course, he's a big fan of Superman. I just don't think he likes Clark Kent. <laughs> because okay. something happened in issue five where I'm just like, the first thought in my head was, he really doesn't like Clark Kent. Uh, <laughs> so, but we'll leave that for a future pod as well because issue five was great. Uh, so, yeah, Dark Knights of Steel number four. So, let's get back to the image loving then with the next few. Yes, sir. So, uh, I'm going to just highlight Echo Lands number six, which gives us the last chapter of the first arc of what seems like a huge world building story encompassing and mashing up every genre, horror, mystery, heroic fantasy, science fiction. Um, as is usual with this visually stunning series, J.H. Uh, Williams III and W.H. W. Hidden Blackman's writing combined with J.H. Williams III's art packs so much into the story and detailed visuals in an issue to fill. There's enough in any issue to fill any five issues of any other series. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. It's just a feast for the eyes. And, you know, this issue shifts genres so swiftly from, like, Kirby-esque sci-fi to black-and-white horror. Uh, it's just that it nearly leaves your head spinning. And, I mean, J.H. Williams third again, shows off just how well he excels at whatever genre he's doing at that time. I mean, the, the first arc of this, I think a surprisingly interesting saga, it's developed far beyond the, the quirky landscape format that drew us to the series in the first place. I mean, in this first arc is brought to a close, you know, it ends on a cliffhanger and leaves loads open for, for future development. So I'm really interested in seeing it come back. And one of the, one of the most real interesting thing about the book is the, at the very end, G.H. Uh, Williams uh, has like three or four pages of uh, songs that he was listening to, mm-hmm. you know, and the albums that they're off and the artists, you know, while he was while he was creating, while he was writing and, and drawing. And I, have, I've, I mean, obviously, it's always nice to see tracks that, you know, or, or tracks that are long forgotten. But I have I have hit upon some really interesting artists just going through that list. It's 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 a really cool part of the book. Yeah, it's nice when creators do that. I think there's been a few series down the, down the way that have done it. I actually saw Ram V talking about it on Twitter the other night. You know, music that he listens to when he's working on certain titles. It's always been one of my favorite things about Deadly Class. It was set in like the 80s, 90s and so forth. And Rick Remender actually did a proper playlist on Spotify for it as well. That he curated himself. And then this is another example of it. And it's a great way of, you know, maybe discovering new bands or discovering new new musical styles and so forth but mm-hmm. yeah echo lands i mean it's consistently one of the, the best looking books out there so it is you can see the effort and care that is in every single page uh i have to apologize to mr shelby if he ever listens to this because for issue six i went for the francesco francovia variant <gasps> but there's a story there but not our story to tell uh so yeah echo lands <laughs> six so it only seems right that i talk about this image loving that you know i showcase the next one which is the image official timeline number one this is essentially curated and written by jim valentino and it's not a comic per se but i think it's a very important read for anyone who's a fan of the medium i mean it's really not an exaggeration to call image one of the most important companies in the history of comics you know before they came along it was pretty much just the big two you know they're 
there were other companies around and some were producing great content, but they just couldn't match the production values and talent pool of DC and Marvel, so struggled to achieve anything beyond sort of a niche audience. But, I mean, the story's well-worn. When seven of Marvel's top artists left the company to form their own independent one, it sent shockwaves through the industry, and an independent creator-owned comics would never be the same again. So, with the official image timeline, we're treated to a pretty definitive edition of all the most important titles Image have released. You know, everything from, you know, that initial run of stuff from Youngblood and Wildcats and Spawn through to when Walking Dead launched through to the early 2010s with Saga and Sex Criminals and Wicked and Divine and so forth. So you you get a little breakdown of that. There's commentary to accompany some of those releases, some rarely seen covers as well. And it's all presented in the timeline of the title. So we can see where Image came from, where it's been and where it's going. And I've said this many times to guys who come into the store. I think we're in a golden age of indie comics right now in terms of quality of creators, variety of titles, diversity, and the titles achieving success in other mediums outside of comics as well. But without Image, that golden era just doesn't exist. Seems fair. Seems fair. So, yeah, definitely worth picking up. It's it's one for the uh, anyone who's interested in the industry should definitely uh, pick that up. So, image the official timeline. And one last honorable mention to go through, and it is from... Image! Image Comics again. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's Newburn number three. For the first time this issue, we see uh, the protagonist, Newburn, off his balance a little bit. Uh, for a while at least, as he tries to get his head around the, the bloody murder and the impacts that are likely to reverberate through the underworld as a result. Um, and the fact that we're able to discern that about the character after only two issues shows the power of, of Chip Zdarsky's writing and, and Jacob Phillips' art. And and Jacob does a, an absolutely sterling job, as he also does on uh, on that Texas blood. Had to get a mention in there somewhere. It's been a couple <laughs> of weeks since we mentioned it. Um, and it's been noted elsewhere that his his clean, neat use of panel layout, this issue echoes Newburn's stoic, ordered nature of thinking. And, you know, with this change in the last couple of pages to echo the more chaotic nature of the of the situation and individual he's, he's facing. Um, there was a perfect self-description, I think, in Newburn 1, uh, you know, describes who he is. He's designated by all sides as their... Uh, impartial new UN inspector with total immunity, UN inspector with total immunity while traveling the war zone. He's neutral. His his findings and his say are final, and the families have all agreed to abide by by them because he's that good. So his reputation is is everything, and most importantly, Newburn can prevent major dust ups between the syndicates before they become serious, and that is only a good thing for the cops. Makes them look good in the city. But it's it's definitely a, a razor's edge that he's walking on, and we see that more keenly here than we maybe have in the first two issues, and we start to feel danger on every side if he loses his balance. It's just brilliant noir comics with two really compelling protagonists. You know, dabbles in the in the police procedural pond as well, and you know it's right at home alongside Brubaker and Phillips, which is why it's it's fitting that the younger Phillips is part of that team. It's just, it's just great stuff. So you must, you must love this, given oh, your love yeah. of noir. You know? Oh yeah, this is right up my alley. You know, it's one of my favorite writers. It's one of my favorite upcoming artists. It's 
a noir book. It's a man living between two worlds book. It's mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of everything. I just read issue four the other night as well, and the quality of it is is maintaining. And it's not really the kind of book you would associate with Chip to this point. I mean, I know he writes the odd bit of crime stuff, obviously within Daredevil, but that's very much within a, a superhero world. And mm. he hasn't really tackled this genre before, but you know, takes to it like an old pro, as you say, like a like a Brubaker Phillips or. We'll definitely put them in the conversation of Condon Phillips as well. So, for sure, yeah, for no, sure. Newburn is just is a fantastic title. It's it seems to be not as regularly released as I would like. I I don't know if it suffers from slight delays or, or or maybe it's just because the book's so good it feels like a long break between them. I'm not sure, but <laughs> and I think it's been fairly regularly with regard to its release, has it not? I don't know because issue one was already out before I went to Thought Bubble, and Thought Bubble was in November. And we're now in March, and we've only had issue four. So, I don't know. Again, maybe it maybe it's once every six weeks or something. I'm, yeah, I might be maybe, worth I might know. be worth looking into. But yeah, uh, and I mean, whenever you whenever you make that that Daredevil comparison, I think I've said it before. But but New Burn as a character would 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 fit right well into to to Zdarsky's uh, Daredevil's New York, wouldn't they? Yeah, it would almost be like a uh, a CI, I suppose, for like a Ben yeah. or someone like that. Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, interesting. So. But yeah, very do, cool stuff. But what we do want to see is a new burn that Texas blood crossover. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Make it happen. You can have that idea for free, lads. So, uh, yeah, new burn number three finishes off the honourable mentions then for the 2nd of February. So, into pick of the week territory, into slightly heavier spoilers as well. And for me, shock hearts, an image title. Uh, yeah, the, for me this week, it is a title that I don't know if you'll have even heard of this title, let alone know much about it. It's a title called New Masters. So this is uh, this is a, a team of brothers. The writer is called Shobu Coker, and the artist is Shof Coker. And this creative team, they're Nigerian brothers who were the recipient of the Creators for Creators grant in 2019. And it's not hard to see why, as I think we may be witnessing some great new talent coming through Image as a result. So with New Masters number one, we had zero pre-orders for it. I can't even remember it being in previews book, to be honest. But I always, I'll always order an image number ones and I'll always give them a go myself. So the blurb for two one reads, In a striking vision of West Africa under the thumb of alien colonizers, a motley crew of outcasts find themselves caught up in a power struggle for control of an ancient artifact with immense power. So the first thing that strikes you about the book, other than the exceptionally beautiful art, of course, is that it's coming from a perspective we normally don't get to see often in comics. You know, most mainstream comics are written by an American, a Canadian, or or even European and British writers. But to get an African point of view, it instantly makes this title stand out. So our two main characters are Ola, a scavenger, and Tossin, the human governor of this new territory shared with other alien societies. And both of these characters are survivors navigating a a new brand of colonialism from opposite ends of the food chain. So being West African, the writer Shobu has that unique perspective on this kind of hostile control over necessary resources that those previously mentioned nationalities will not. There's also cyberpunk elements blended into the story to give people a taste of something familiar to act as a gateway. But it's intertwined with these new perspectives and they're blended together really brilliantly. You know, there's there's a great flow to the writing and despite having a lot to establish, I mean, there is a lot of world building here. There's no massive exposition dumps or asides that ruin that flow. You know, we find information out naturally through dialogue and relationships between characters. With the art, there there have been comparisons I've seen around to the likes of Decorum and East of West for the art style and character design. And 
although meant in a complimentary way, I do think that does show off sort of the service as this is one of the most unique titles I've come across in quite some time. You know, the world is bright and colourful, but not in a way where colour relates to wealth and power. You know, even the lower end of the food chain areas are distinct and varied and bustling with life and, you know, as opposed to the go-to drab style to illustrate their plight. You've got the intermingling of African culture with off-world invaders. It means it's always an interesting art style to pour over with plenty of small touches in that background adding to the richness of the world. The characters are well-defined as well and clothing choices which make it easily apparent who are the haves and who are the have-nots of this world. And the artist Shoff also does the colouring for the issue and it's done in an almost watercolour style. It keeps it stylish and really, really beautiful. You know, overall, this this is one of the best image number ones I've read in quite some time and it's even more promising that it's it's from creative talent that I'm not familiar with. So not only will I be on this title for the duration of the run, but I'll certainly be keeping an eye out for whatever else they uh, work on next. Great, great title. You are right. I had no knowledge of that whatsoever, which I guess is the uh, is the bonus of your particular job. That is indeed, and I will happily throw you my issue. One issue two only came out there about, I think it was part of last week's issues, uh, so I'll happily throw it to you. It's, it's a little tricky to get a hold of now, the usual low print run secondary market nonsense, but yeah, just really, really unique. And again, just an image number one, I'll always give it a go. But yeah, just zero prayer, zero anticipation, but just in a way, maybe that just increased why I enjoyed it so much because it was just so unexpected. I look forward to getting a wee read at that. Thanks very much. No worries at all. So, yeah, my pick of the week is New Masters number one. And for yourself, what will it be? Go on, make it an image full slate. Do it. It's not going to be ah, that. It couldn't uh, be that. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm popping back to the uh, to, to the, the world of uh, Mighty Marvel uh, with Fantastic Four Reckoning War number one, which was a one-shot uh, that is uh, kicking off uh, something pretty 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 awesome and fans of marvel's deep history should definitely prick up their ears for this one uh it kicks off dan slot's universe shattering event it's been 15 years in the making ever since dan slot um, very well known for his seminal run on spider-man revealed in she-hulk volume 2 number 3 that jennifer walters was the reason for the annihilation of everything it's more than that too of course as uh Dan Slott and artists Carlos Pacheco, Rafael Fronteras and Carlos Magno weave in characters and alien species, new and old, into a massive tableau of chaos coming together. But more than that, I'm fairly sure that this is a story that Slott has been brewing since he was no edge. When they started hyping Reckoning War, I don't know if you you remember, but one of Marvel's talking points was, was that this story and this alien menace is one that stretches back to the earliest days of marvel storytelling uh they 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 told us that the reckoning was a threat that we'd seen before which had become forgotten and was striking at our heroes from the past tales from tales of suspense number 53 was released in 1964 its main iron man feature was a black widow story uh, from the days when Black Widow was still uh, a communist villainess and wasn't even wearing her Black Widow costume at that stage. But the backup story in that was called Tales of the Watcher, and it was a story by Stan Lee and his brother Larry Lieber, and they were telling the story of the Watchers before they were the Watchers as benefactors of emerging civilizations, sharing the wealth of their advanced knowledge and technology with many races, including one called the Prosilicans, who destroyed themselves using the technology that the Watcher had had given them before they were ready for it. 
it seems a lot like Dan Slot has been waiting to use these guys as a threat to the universe since he first read about them whenever he was a kid, and he's been peppering his Marvel work with preambles to the Reckoning War for years. I mean, that that is some long-term planning. That is impressive long-term planning. <laughs> um, so if you remember back to the epilogue of Empire when Nick Fury, uh, then the Unseen, was released from his chains and became the cosmic foot soldier of the resurrected uh, Uetu the Watcher. And you'll remember when we learned that the Kutari, the villains of, of Empire, had been armed with weapons technology from the earliest history of the universe, forgotten advanced technology. Well, on a, on a, on a spy mission for the Watcher, because obviously spying is what Nick Fury does better than anybody else in the, in the Marvel Universe, Fury found that someone's been going around the cosmos supplying all sorts of arms to a variety of species, including the, the Brotherhood of the Badoon and the Snarks. And that Snark War then, that uh, that was part of Guardians of the Galaxy and, and all of that sort of stuff. But when the Watcher tried to alert the rest of his people to what was happening, a ship of someone called the Reckoning opened fire on our moon and blew it to pieces, blew it into asteroids. And now as the pieces of the moon rain down on Earth, our planet faces not only that disaster, but also an attack of the Brotherhood of the Badoon themselves. And that is where this book starts. <laughs> so, I mean, it's worth noting how many characters Dan Slott has injected into this book with the Avengers, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four. It is a Fantastic Four book, and it, at its crux, it is a Fantastic Four event, but everybody's in there. and They're all working together, and at one point in the story, we have... Uh, you know, we have them all, you know, the, the X-Men, the Avengers and the Fantastic Four all working together, the flagship teams of the Marvel Universe. We also have She-Hulk in there and the Time Variance Authority, who were most recently made famous uh, by the Loki TV series, but are a Marvel Comics stalwart. Silver Surfer, you'll be glad to hear, Alan, is running up against the, the Griever at the end of all things, which is back from the beginning of Dan Slott's Fantastic Four run. Um, and of course... Doctor Doom's getting involved, uh, and and Reed's acquiring, you know, freaky life-limiting cosmic awareness from the Watcher's tech brain dump. Um, there's so much going on. There's so many heroes that pop up, including some cool '80s and '90s faces that we don't normally see. It, it's contained within the Fantastic Four, but this is a proper Marvel event uh, because of how many characters show up, and there's even more than that to your slot. As he's reaching into the the depths of the Marvel Encyclopedia uh, and just showing the rich tapestry of the Marvel Universe. So yeah, a lot going on, all gathered from multiple threads of previous tales reaching back into Marvel history, but nothing that's insurmountable to the new reader either. You could you could sort of jump on here and enjoy it. It's a really confident start to what's looking to be an action-packed story, pulling together all of these cosmic plot lines, but done so ably by a writer who knows his craft and revels in the four-colour goodness that makes this kind of comic so great and, you know, at the heart of, of everything that we love. Yeah, I've been reading this myself as well. I was actually chatting to Stephen in the store about it earlier today that last night I did the uh, the 1-2 of Fantastic Four 40 and 41 uh -huh. and really, really enjoying it. It's It may have me going back to the start of Dan Slot's run to maybe get more on it. I mean... There's not so much of it in this wreck anymore, but I, I I love the the depiction of of Reed, you know, with all these new powers and these, you know, that that increased responsibility in his shoulders and 
oh my god there was such a cold moment to johnny in, in one of the issues but you know again that's yeah oh i know future, yeah, future podcast material but yeah, yeah i mean yeah. i i haven't been reading fantastic four but i i did pick this up with the idea being you know right this is a, a fresh way of jumping in dan slots had this story in his mind for years he did my all-time favorite silver surfer run let's give this a go you know and yeah he, he, he got me and I'm, I'm definitely in this for the haul and as I say, I've got the first two hardcovers in the store, which cover the first twenty-four issues, and it's it, it's tempting. If my big pile, of course, wasn't already about six feet tall, but uh, you know, but yeah, some great stuff uh, in this. I thought as well, so really, really enjoying the the, the start of this. So yeah, great choice. good, great choice. Good. I'm glad you're. Uh, I'm glad you've jumped on it. Absolutely. So yeah, that is Fantastic Four Reckoning More. So that was uh, the the lead into Dan Slott's uh, new series, and it's Rachel Stott as the artist, isn't it? Uh, on the yeah, on Fantastic Four anyway. Uh, yeah, yes, absolutely, she is. But uh, the this has got uh, Carlos Pacheco on it on the the, the main art, and then uh, Rafael Fronteras and Carlos Magno, I think, on the inks and colors. Yeah, nice. Awesome. So, yeah, that is uh, the first week in February in the books, as they say. And uh, we will be back before too long, I'm sure, to continue through our odyssey of February titles. There's only three weeks of February to cover. A nice wee short month for us uh, before we can get into those March titles as well. So still plenty of great stuff to come before we get fully caught up on the reviews. But as ever, I hope you guys are enjoying this. I hope you're you're getting something from it. We just want to make sure we do showcase some of these great titles from earlier on in the year and uh, make sure we don't miss out on that. So as ever, thanks for listening. Uh, always a pleasure chatting with you, sir. And I will be chatting with you again before too long. Yes, indeed. And in the meantime, dear listener, don't accept any advanced technology from dodgy looking watchers. <laughs> Advice for life right there. Thanks for listening, guys. So I've been Alan Taylor and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.